I'm concerned for for people who, in some cases, people who get saved and then they start growing in the Lord and then they stop growing in the Lord. And then what happens is when they stop growing in the Lord, they end up back in the world. They end up cold. They end up hard. They end up bitter. They end up um, almost apathetic. I'm concerned for others who maybe were saved for a long period of time, and then they start growing in grace, learning things that they've never learned before. They're starting to draw closer to God, but then something sends them back again, derails them, and now they're slipping back farther and farther away. We can see it firsthand happening in our church. People that were once growing, and for whatever reason, they have chosen not to continue to grow. Well, if you if you choose to not continue to grow, all you're going to do is go the opposite way. You don't just stop. Christianity is, is not something where you're just standing in one spot and you're remaining a Christian. You are either moving forward or you are moving backwards in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you are moving backwards in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, it is a very, very dangerous place to be. And I'm not saying that because I'm, I'm trying to get some emotional response. No, I'm being serious. The Bible warns us about the dangers of turning our back on God. And tonight, that's what I want to talk to everybody about, the dangers of turning our back on God. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus uh, shares a story here. If you will, look at verse 24. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest and finding none. He saith, I will return unto my house whence I came out. And when he cometh, he findeth it swept and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh to him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Now, to be honest with you, contextually, this is referring to the nation of Israel, and it's almost it's almost describing the nation of Israel like a house that back when they were guilty of pagan worship in the Old Testament and God sent them into the captivity, that that demon that was there, those idols that were there, were cast out of their worship. And when they returned back to the land of Israel, they worshiped the one true God, Jehovah. But what happened is as time went on, they became very religious in their worship. The house was swept. It was garnished. It was clean. God was not there. And so some of this passage is prophetic, referring to the pagan worship that will be going on during the time of tribulation, which is future. Now, here's how I want to use it tonight, because it does apply this way as well. Spiritually speaking, for us today, we're not in Israel. We're not in the house of Israel. Uh, we, we won't be going through the tribulation. We'll be raptured before that. But I want you to know that these things, this, this, this occurrence that's going on here is something that can happen in the life of every single believer. That when I choose to turn my back on God, mark it down, the enemy's coming. Bible says in, for instance, 1 Peter, that we should be sober and vigilant because our adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. Those who stay close to God, they don't get devoured. Those who turn their back on God, they get destroyed by Satan. Paul speaks about it in his writings to the church at Corinth. He says, these who have sinned, that we cannot glory in their sin, but we must give them over to the destruction of the flesh, give them over to Satan, that he might destroy them. This is something that takes place with church discipline. In Luke chapter 11, if you will, look with me at verse 23. I want you to notice what has happened here. The Lord says, He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth. The first truth that we understand even before Jesus teaches about the unclean spirit that is cast out of the home but then returns with seven more evil spirits is the fact that he says, those who are not with me are against me. That means that anybody in this world who is not for Christ, 
who is not loyal to Christ, who is not faithful to honor and glorify him, becomes the enemy of God in some form or another. You say, but I'm a child of God. I was saved. Well, you are a rebellious, unfaithful child if you're living in open sin after you've named the name of Christ. And what waits for that kind of child? According to the book of Hebrews, it's the chastening hand of God. Is there chastening in your life, though you live in that sin? If not, then you're no child of God. That's what the Bible says. That's not what I say. That's what the Bible says. Jesus says, if you're not for me, you are against me. If you are not gathering with me, then you are spreading abroad. You are, you are my enemy. You are against the work that I am trying to do. Then he goes into this story about this unclean spirit. Look again at the text with me. He says, when the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, the words gone out means he was cast out. It's referring to someone who had been possessed with a demon and the demon was cast out of that individual by way of some type of exorcism, okay? This is something we would read about in the New Testament pretty often. He says, well, the spirit was sent out. That's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. Then you look at the rest of it, and it says, this unclean spirit, he walketh through dry places, places without water. He's seeking rest, but he can't find any. He finds none there. But he says to himself, I will return into my house whence I came out. Hey, I wonder what's going on back at the place where I started. When he comes, he does find it swept and garnished. The thing I notice is there's no water mentioned there. That's significant, and I'll tell you why here in a second. But it's swept up. Boy, it's cleaned, and it's been decorated as well. Almost brings to mind religion. And so many people live according to religion. They look the part. They speak the part. They act the part. They feel the part. Everything's there, but it's all religion, and there's no relationship. But look what happens in verse 26. Then goeth he, that's the unclean spirit, takes to him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. They enter in and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. Religion never saved a soul. It can't. Tradition never delivered anyone from hell. Only the power of God through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ saves people and changes people. It's not enough to be religious. One must receive the Son. It's not enough to repent. One must receive the Son. It all works hand in hand together. And when the Son shows up and He's in the heart, He becomes the one, the power who sends the demons away that they might not torment or terrorize that person any longer. But in the text, we see a couple of things. First off, that this demon was cast out is uh, similar to the word gone out, but also the dry places. That made me start thinking about water. This is a place without water. And this phrase used for dry places is only mentioned four times in the Word of God. It's mentioned in Matthew 12, 43, which is the parallel passage to Luke 11, right here that we're reading. It's mentioned in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, referring to cisterns that have no water, clouds that have no water. And then in Jude 1, 2, in all of these passages, it is referring to those who are lacking the true presence of God. In all four cases. So that tells us that this person, we can go ahead and assume that they too are lacking the presence of God. And the demon, when he went out into the dry places, those places were lacking the presence of God. But he returned back to that place that he was familiar with. Now, I noticed that it mentions dry places, a place without water. But I find it interesting in the Word of God that water is associated with the Word of God. If you will, turn with me to Ephesians 5, 26, and then also grab 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You'll come across 1 Corinthians first as you're making your way through your New Testament. Grab 1 Corinthians 6, and then grab Ephesians chapter 5. All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to start with Ephesians 5. 
In Ephesians 5, verse 26, we read that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. What's he talking about? Well, in verse 25, Paul is comparing husbands' love for their wives to Christ's love for his church. And it says this, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of, the, of water by the word. The word of God is compared to water has this idea of cleansing the soul of the individual, cleansing the heart of a person. I was speaking this morning about the importance of the Word of God in my own life and how it changed me, and I'm sure it's done the same for you, and it'll continue to change us. It is the thing that we must hold fast to because it is the truth from heaven above. Now, look at 1 Corinthians 6 with me, verse 11. In the church at Corinth, these were some very wicked and ungodly and evil people in this area. Uh, they, were, they were thieves, they were drunkards, they were revilers, they were extortioners, adulterers, uh, they were homosexuals there, they were fornicators, idolaters, everything in verses 9 and 10 listed here. Verse 11 says this, and such were some of you. Now you notice how that's past tense. And such were, were some of you meaning the church at Corinth, past him. Something happened. They were changed. Look what it says. But ye are washed what by what? By the word of God. Ye are sanctified. Ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. The word of God washes the soul of mankind. There is the baptism of the Holy Spirit that Jesus does in the work of salvation. Yes, but the word of God cleanses our soul. It helps us to come out from the world and be separate unto God. This is very important because over in our study of Luke 11, if you look back again, notice that this demon, this unclean spirit, travels around looking at places that are dry, and then he returns back to his, his host here, this person that's mentioned, Finds it swept and kept, but there's no presence of God there. There's no water. Again, it's a dry place similar to what we'd read later in Scripture. And this demon that returns when he shows up to this person, he ends up bringing more demons along with him in order to make this person's situation far worse than it was before. Now, here's the truth. Demons are very much real. I don't know how much you think on these things. I know Miss Angie told me she's now talking to angels in her car. Hey, that's fine, all right? No, no problems with that. Angels and demons are very much real. The Bible is very clear about this. This is not folklore. It's not make-believe, though there is a lot of folklore around them. Uh, every time you ring a bell, an angel does not get its wings. Don't worry about it, all right? When your loved one dies, they do not become an angel and get their wings. That is not biblical, okay? You, human beings are a different kind than angels, but angels are a creation of God. Demons are very much real. The Bible tells us that all people, prior to knowing Christ as Savior, were sitting in darkness. They were blinded by the God of this world. Demons were active in their lives, okay? When you get saved, Jesus comes into your life. Well, when Jesus shows up, the devil flees. The book of James would tell us about how important it is for us to submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. You can't just resist the devil. You must first submit to God. God becomes the one who drives the devil away. Now, what happens in a situation when a person has the demons cast out of their life and the person is swept and garnished and kept and clean, but the presence of God is not there? What's going to follow? The demons are coming back. They are continuously active in the world. They are continuously stirring up uh, foul relationships and uh, sinful pleasures and other things alike. Demons are forever active in this world. They don't have to take a, take a little uh, siesta, you know, go on vacation, slumber at night, take a nap. They're immortal creatures. They're not going to perish. Even when they're cast into hell, that's only a place to keep them away out of the presence of the, and the holiness of God. So demons are forever active in the world. That means when, when a person, and this is my warning tonight, all right, this is why I'm saying this, because I'm watching it happen around us, and it is very, very close to us. 
When a person starts growing in grace and knowledge of the Lord, and there are obvious signs that God is working, demons hate what's going on right there. And as soon as that person, because we all have free will, decides that they're going to stop growing in grace and knowledge of the Lord, and instead they're going to return back to their old ways, their old nature. That's when God, because he's a gentleman and he does allow us to have free will, God allows those demons to come back into that person's life. And often that person is far worse at that latter state than they were before. And the Bible teaches us a lot about these things. Now, if you will, turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 2 tonight. 2 Peter chapter 2 and pick up in verse 20. The passages here are very clear about this and, and what goes on and, and these dealings that are happening, that returning to the world leads to a worser fate than just remaining faithful to God. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, now you see what happened there. I'm going to read that one more time. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, Pollutions, something poisoning, something hurting us. That's the sin, that's the demons, that's the darkness of this world. After this person has escaped that, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, knowing the Scriptures, knowing Jesus, welcoming Him into your life, and they are again entangled therein, now they've gone back to the pollutions of the world, and then they're overcome by that, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. It does not pay to fall out of fellowship with God, trust me. It leads to hate. It leads to bitterness. It leads to anger. It leads to confusion. It leads to apathy, a lukewarm complacency in a person where they just don't even care. It goes on in verse 21, for it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them, according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. The dog going to eat up his vomit, and the pig going to swim in the mud all over again in the murk. The idea with that is the picture that the two were cleaned up. You know, dogs were seen in Scripture as something very vile and unclean. That's why the Jews would refer to Gentiles as dogs, because they saw them as pagan worshipers who worshipped idols like trees and rocks and other little trinkets that they made by their hands, and they saw them as vile persons, and they said they're dogs. And then a pig, I mean, at, at one point in Scripture prior to uh, Acts 14 and 15, I believe it is, swine was seen as an unclean creature not to be eaten by the Jewish people. Never, that was never a commandment put on Gentiles, but it was for the Jewish people. It was seen as an unclean creature. Now, here's what he points out. Peter's writing here, led by the Holy Spirit. He's saying that thing that was unclean, the dog, that thing that was unclean, the pig, the two apparently somehow were made clean, but then what did they do? They went, one went back to its vomit and ate it back up again, and I know you've seen a dog do that, not a pretty sight. And then the other went back to the mire, and he started wallowing around in it again after he'd been washed and cleaned up. By the way, I've never understood people who put pigs in their homes as pets. That's bacon. That's ham, right? I don't want it as a pet. I don't understand that. Let him waller in the mire until he's put on the breakfast, you know. But in this case, Peter is pointing out that it is, it is far worse for a person to know God, to know Jesus, to grow, and then to return back to the world because you will be worse off than when you started. I know it. I've been there. I remember a time in my own Christian life where I feel as though I was closer to the Lord than I am right now. I know that sounds sad as a pastor. But there was a time where I, was, I would go in my prayer closet at the same hour, early in the morning, and God would speak to my heart in ways 
that amazed me. And I have notebooks filled full of times where God spoke to me in such powerful ways. And because of my own disobedience and unbelief, I allowed myself to quench that spirit that was speaking to me, the Holy Spirit, and I haven't got back to it since. I'm not saying I'm out of fellowship with God, but I haven't gotten back to where I once was. That's a light version of what other people experience. I've known people that were teaching Sunday school classes, doing it for years, and then something happens within their marriage or within their home or maybe it's health. Suddenly they start to fall out of church for a little while. I don't think I'll teach this week. I don't think I'll teach next week. I don't think I'll teach next month. I think I'm just going to bow out completely for the next year. As they start doing that, they're also slowing down on their attendance to church. They're slowing down on their Bible reading. They're slowing down on their prayer time. They're no longer witnessing to anyone. Next thing you know, they're starting to be uh, reminded of their old past when they used to have some fun. Maybe they start drinking again. Maybe they start taking drugs. Maybe even for the first time. I knew a boy that didn't start taking drugs till he was in his 20s. And then when he started taking the drugs, he became one of the worst drug addicts I've ever met in my life. I don't know why you'd wait that long to do drugs. Do it when you're a teenager if you're going to do it. Don't listen to me, okay? Don't do it at all, but, I mean, I'm just saying. Y'all are shaking your heads at me. I'm just being silly. But in those cases, drugs will ruin a life, and people wait till later on in their lives. But in the case of people... Uh, this one, this illustration, the man ends up thinking about his old life. He starts listening to the old music again. Boy, it brings back memories. Maybe he starts smoking cigarettes again. Maybe he starts watching uh, PG-13 movies again. What's that a gateway to? Rated R movies. And then from rated R movies, where's he headed? Oh, he's going downhill after that. Over and over again, he's starting to go back to the old ways. And what happened was he first turned his back on God, and then it was a downward spiral from that point on. It was a, it was a slippery slope. It was a slide that he could not slow down on. And he continues to decline farther and farther away from the Lord, simply because he turned his back on God. That's what Jesus warns about in Luke 11. That's what Peter warns about here in 2 Peter chapter 2. And these things are a great reality in our world because I'm telling you, I, I'm watching it happening in our church for some people. I have seen it happen for others in the past. I have known people that were once faithful members in their church who end up in a life of sin and find God kills them within a couple years of their rebellion and their, and their willingness to turn their back on God. I've been in houses of people that you would look up on the wall and you'd see pictures of normal people Families that almost were comparable to something from the old sitcoms like the Brady Bunch or something along those lines. And then you're looking at the people now. You can tell they are, they are overwhelmed by demons in their lives. Sickness has just ransacked their home. They're confused. They've got, they've got uh, weird, odd witchcraft uh, trinkets and things hanging up in their home. They're burning sage in the name of Jesus. They're bringing uh, soul crystals or spirit crystals out in the name of Jesus. They're just continuously going down this, down this dark path, welcoming demons into their life. It's dangerous to turn our back on the Lord. And this is a reality, and I, I don't know how much more I could say about it, but I'm just trying to warn us all, do not turn your back on God. If he has given you truth, keep moving forward, please. Take heed lest you fall. Because as soon as you say, no, not me, you'll be the dog returning to his vomit. You'll be the pig returning to the mire. You'll be the swept and garnished home that, the demons were cast out of, and here comes a whole posse of them back to terrorize you. And it'll wreak havoc on your life, I promise you. I know some of you know people who were saved when they were younger, and then they allowed themselves to get into drugs, get into alcohol, get into sinful living, and sure enough, that's exactly what followed. Great trouble in their life. This is a great reality that God's people ought to be aware of and realize that we're not playing church, or at least I'm not playing church. I know what I'm capable of because I've been there. I know what I have done. 
I thank the Lord for the for the for the experiences that I've had in my life because I think it keeps me pretty straight because I'm scared to death ever to go back in that to that place. I know preachers that have told me that they are scared about getting older and getting to a place where they start to lose control of their mind because of dementia or Alzheimer's because they're afraid of what they will say. Why would they be afraid of what they will say? Because of the the old man, the old nature. They're afraid of what might come back to the surface. And like I said, God's people should understand that these things are a great reality, and so don't take your church for granted. Do not take the Bible for granted, and do not take the spiritual growth that you've already enjoyed for granted. We ought to bow our heads and, and praise God every single time He has given us some sort of illumination because that means that's one less demon that's going to terrorize me in my life. Now you say, how do I maintain this? Peter, believe it or not, in the first part of this letter here of 2 Peter, tells us how we can maintain our relationship with the Lord in order to avoid this attack that will come on us if we fall out of fellowship with the Lord. Now, I'm not saying you couldn't be restored. Please don't, please don't misunderstand me tonight. I'm not saying you can't be restored. I'm not saying you, that you lose your salvation. I'm simply saying if you're not in the light, you're in the darkness, and in the darkness there are evil spirits there that want to destroy your life. That's what I'm saying. And God is light, and in him is no darkness, is what we read in 1 John. That means I cannot bring my sin into my relationship with God. What Jesus say? If you're not for me, you're against me. Therefore, all the heartaches and all the trouble and all the, all the hard times we find ourselves dealing with often, it's just simply the result of sin that is left unaddressed in our lives for the most part. And God wants us to draw close to Him. If you will, turn over to 2 Peter as I give you just a, a, a last thought here as we uh, get close to the end of the message tonight. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 4 through 9, if you'll look here with me. These are the things that we must be doing on a daily basis in order to stay close to the Lord, but also to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. In these passages, for instance, I, and we're going to mostly focus on 4 through 9, but I want to start with verse 1 because Peter's going to teach us that something happened in us when we got saved. After we got saved and we were beginning to be sanctified, something else was happening, and that thing is what needs to continue to happen in the life of a believer. Start with verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained, obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Did you know grace grows and peace grows the more you know about Jesus? That's why you say, uh, you might think to yourself, that old pastor is always harping on reading your Bible, reading your Bible, reading your Bible. I'm about tired of hearing about reading my Bible. Well, the Bible tells us we ought to read the Bible because it's through my knowledge of God that grace and peace will multiply in my life. I feel like for the most part, as I go through hard times in my life at an older age, I find great peace in God simply because of the scriptures, not because I'm superhuman in this area of peace. I've had my fair share of worrying when I was younger. But the more that I know about God, the more that I understand about his sovereignty, his power, his ability, I have no need to fear. Grace is abounding. Peace is abounding. And it's simply because of the more that I learn about Jesus Christ. That's what he says here, the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 3. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. That was salvation. Through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. You're looking for a call on your life? Are you saying, what, what, what's God's will for my life? Well, here's one. He's called you to glory and virtue. Whereby, now we're going to go into our study, whereby, verse 4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, 
having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. I escaped the lust of the world through the power of Jesus Christ and through the truth of God's Word. You have escaped the lust of the world through the power of Jesus Christ and through the truth of God's Word. The gospel did not only deliver me from the penalty of sin and hell, but it also delivered me from the power of sin in this present world. And one day in the future, it will deliver me from the presence of sin because I'll be forever with my Lord Jesus in eternity. God did those things. God delivered us. Now, in addition to these promises that we have of this deliverance, Peter goes on in verse 5 to speak about the things that need to be going on in our lives so that we might stay close to God and continue to grow. Look at verse 5. Beside this, he's saying, in addition to this, according to this that has happened, the knowledge of the Lord, here's what you need to do. First off, giving all diligence. If you're not willing to be diligent concerning your faith and your walk with God, don't expect God to be diligent to help you to grow. God is faithful. He is able. He is willing. But if we are half-hearted in our approach with Him, well, then He's not going to add too much to our understanding of Him. But as soon as you become diligent, as soon as you become willing, as soon as you go forth and you say, no, Lord, I want to know you more. I want to get a hold of truth. Lord, please teach me, grow me, make me, and mold me into the image of your Son. As soon as you do that, that's when God will start to unleash or unlock His power in your heart and in your mind and give you great knowledge that you've probably never even been aware of. So you first off got to be diligent. But diligent in what? Well, He's going to tell us. Look. He says, and besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith. Our relationship with God starts with faith. It is impossible to please God without faith. Even as I'm speaking now, you have to have faith in what I'm saying. I can't prove any of this to you. I could go take a person right now that I'm thinking of who is going through this situation, and I could show you the before and the after and say, do you see it? But you'd still have to believe it by faith. I can't convince you. I don't have any facts to prove the inner workings of the spiritual man and the, and the demons that are working in the world. It's by faith. It's by faith. By faith we are saved. By faith we are sanctified. By faith we are secured. By faith we are given peace. By faith we are continue to be blessed by God. It's by faith, by faith, by faith. You have to learn to grow your faith. Believe God. And anytime you find yourself getting cold and complacent, like I've already mentioned, you need to step out by faith and do something so that you might stretch your faith again. Because facts do not help us to draw closer to God. Faith is what draws us closer to God. In the book of Romans, it says, from faith to faith, the righteousness of God is revealed. It's by faith. So first off, there's faith. But look what Peter says. He says, giving all diligence, add to your faith. Here's the first thing, or second thing, really. He says, virtue. I need to be working on the virtue in my life. What, what do you mean virtue? This simply means moral goodness, the purity of your life needs to be worked on. I can stand here and I can give you, I could, I could pull this big, giant, beautiful screen that we have down that was given to our church. I could start making a list of all the movies you shouldn't watch and all the TV shows you shouldn't watch. I can make a list of all the ways you shouldn't dress. And I could put pictures up and give you an example. I could tell you about different practices that people are doing now that they shouldn't do. I could tell you about alcohol and about drugs and about this and about language. And I could give you, Blake, I could give you a list of all the cuss words you shouldn't be saying. Not that he says them. I know he's a good boy. His mom would probably slap him from one side of Mount Airy, I guess. I could do all that for you, but here's the thing. This, look, watch, watch this. This becomes religion if it's not something that's already active in your heart, that you'd want to turn away from this. Look, faith puts us into a relationship with God. Virtue purifies the relationship with God. Faith adds us to the family, but our virtue is the purity that is, that is happening inside of us. I was a vile, vile, wicked, evil soul when I got saved. 
the things that I had done, even at a young age, and the things that I had said and the things that I'd watched and been involved with were absolutely wicked. I needed some purification. But the thing I didn't realize until I was into my 20s is I had to be diligent about that virtue. I had to be diligent about that purifying in my own life. And I had to say, no, this is wrong. Why is it wrong? Because it, it, it's sin and Jesus died for that. Hey, this over here is wrong. Why is it wrong? Because it blasphemes the name of my God and Jesus hung on a cross to die for that sin. It's wrong. This over here is wrong because it exposes a certain part of the body or it shows off something that it shouldn't, which leads to lust. And that, again, is a sin that has ruined many homes. And Jesus died on that cross for sin. I had to make a decision to be diligent in my life to purify my life so that these things would not be present. But I'll tell you this much, it was well worth it because I know God better today than I knew him back then. Peter says you ought to be diligent about your faith and then adding to your faith virtue, purity, purity. The second thing he says is not only the purity and the faith or the virtue and the faith, but he says, as you move into the end of latter part of verse five, he says, in virtue to knowledge, these things are stacking. It started, if maybe I can give you an illustration here. It started with faith. See how many of these I can find. It moved to virtue. These are all stacking. And then, now what happens is now we're moving to knowledge. If somebody says, well, I got a whole lot of knowledge about Jesus, but I have no faith in virtue, whoops, that foundation's not going to stand very well because everything is built on our faith. That's the first part of this. That's, did you notice he says, giving all diligence, he says in verse 5, add to your faith, that's already there, there's your foundation, faith in Jesus Christ, he's my rock. He says, add to your faith virtue, there's your purity, there's your moral goodness, that you want your life to be pure. Not because of I'm saying so, and not because you're afraid somebody's going to look into your, uh, you know, look into your home and, and check out your your movie list or whatever, but simply because you want to be pure because you believe in Jesus Christ, and you want your life to be pure. And then he says, to that purity, now you need to add some knowledge. Where does knowledge come from? It comes from the Word of God. How do we know about God? We know God through His Word. Somebody says, well, can I know God out in the world, wandering around in the woods, doing this and that? I mean, you know, there's some things. There's a little bit of natural revelation, I guess, or knowledge there, but I'm going to tell you this. You can't know God that well. That'd be about like me saying, I want to know my wife. And when we were younger and in college, she was living inside her home. And I just showed up down at the end of the driveway, and I started walking around the outside of the house. I didn't go and knock on the door and say, hey, Maria, I'd like to get to know you. No, I'm just walking around the outside of the house. I'm peering in the window. I wonder what's going on in there, Anna. They'd be calling the cops and arresting me. No, I, it was when I, when I got to know her was when I, I asked to come and spend time with her. I asked her stories and asked her about her past and asked her about her childhood. What do you like? What do you not like? I'm getting to know her. Give me that snarl. Get to know her, right? Same thing's true for God. You can't know God until you ask him, God, what do you like? God, what do you, what, what do you not like? And the Bible's filled full of all the things God hates. And it's filled full of all the things God loves. Add to your virtue, knowledge. Then with your knowledge, uh, he goes on into verse 6, and he says, and to knowledge, whoo, y'all brace yourselves on this one. He says temperance, that's self-control. That's something hard for people, self-control. But the Bible is very clear that he that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down and without walls. A Christian needs to learn how to control him or herself. All of us have besetting sins. Nobody's perfect, trust me. Some people are lazy. Well, you need to be a hard worker. Some people work their whole life away and never give God any time. You need to slow down and give God time. Some people are lustful. Some people are not as much in the lustful area, but they're gossips. Some people hold grudges. 
Some people can forgive for everything, but yet they can't control their tongue. Everybody has a besetting sin, and as born-again believers, here's what we recognize. First off, by faith, all right? I was delivered from the pollutions of the world, not because of me, but because of the power of Jesus Christ. I believe that God can change me. I know because God changed me, and I believe He can change anybody in this room tonight. If you ever lose sight of your faith, you will no longer grow in your Christianity. It starts with faith and what God's able to do, not what I'm able to do. Too often people are like, well, I just don't know if I can do that. Oh, I just don't think I can do that. Oh, I just can't. Ah, da, 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 da. On and on and on. It's not about you doing. It's about God doing it through you. That's what he did originally, and that's what he'll continue to do afterwards. God works through us when we place our faith in him. Stop hanging on to the edge and just let go and let God have your life. Faith. Faith to virtue, purity. Then to knowledge. I'm learning more about God. Here's what I just learned. God wants me to be self-controlled. He wants me to be temperate. He does not want me to fly off the handle. He does not want me to blow up and get angry. Yes, everybody has their ways of doing these things, but I have to... I have to learn me enough through the power of God and through the scriptures to know when those buttons are about to be pushed and I need to get them out. I need to remove them. I need to, however I do that, stop and pray, grab your Bible, read a scripture, whatever it is. But temperance is a part of our Christian growth. And if we don't grow in this way, then there's a danger that a person could end up falling away from God, giving up on the relationship with Him going back to the world and being a dog returning to vomit or a pig returning to the mire. He goes on to another one. Next, he says, and then to your temperance, patience. Patience. You say, what do you mean? Well, patience is endurance. It means to be steadfast. Anybody here ever been discouraged in your Christian growth? Come on, be honest with me now. You were trying to do things and you couldn't get it done? All right? And then maybe when you got to this one about enduring, you couldn't endure. So when you couldn't endure, you sort of stopped, right? You're still struggling with that one. The endurance only happens when our foundation is settled on faith. Faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control or temperance, and then patience, endurance. Endure. Have faith that God is working. You say, but I don't feel like he's working. I'm doing this and I'm doing that, but it doesn't seem like it's working out. You're starting to lose sight of the endurance. He says, be patient. Be patient. I'm working a work. I'm working a plan. Did you know that Moses was 80 years old before God allowed him to deliver the nation of Israel out of Egypt? And then in addition to that, Moses was 120 years old before he saw the promised land called Canaan. He had to wait. He was on the backside of a mountain for 40 years herding sheep and, or, and simply, I guess, waiting. He probably didn't even realize it, but he was waiting on the work of God. God was growing him, maturing him, and making him into something God could use. Patience, patience, endurance, endurance. Don't give up on God, please. I've seen so many people. They're like the seed that fell in the stony ground that shot up so quick with great joy, but as soon as tribulation came through, they were burned up. I've seen people that they got on fire for God and they were here all the services and they're doing this and they're doing that and then they had a prayer request that wasn't answered and boom, just like that, they're done. Discouragement, depression, a lack of endurance, a lack of patience. These things have to build on one another and they have to be founded on our faith that God wants these things to take place in our life so that we can grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord. Let's get to the next one. Once you get to patience, God then speaks about this one. And to your patience, he says, godliness, godliness. I think I'm running out of hymnals up here. I've done stacked so many. I feel like I got to keep my, keep my little illustration going. The, right, here we go. He says, godliness, godliness. What does that mean? Well, if I'm going to be godly, 
I'm going to have godliness, I'm going to be what? Like God. The nature and the essence of God will be evident in my life. Why would that be? Why would I be like God? Because I have a great respect for him. I have a great reverence for him. And to reverence God means to reverence holiness because he is the standard of holiness. To reverence God is to reverence righteousness, what is right, because that's who he is. To reverence honesty, purity, goodness, and even love itself that is unconditional and forgiveness. These are the attributes of our God. And to be godly is to reverence those things. They start to appear in my life, and that's a good thing. Because the person starts down here with faith in God. They look for purity in their life. Um, I done forgot the second one now. Purity. Add to your, add to your virtue temperance. Is that it? Yeah. Knowledge. There it was. That was it. So you got, you got faith. You got virtue. You got knowledge. Then you've got temperance. Then you've got patience. And then you've got godliness. And all these are building on one another. And godliness gets me to the place where now I'm starting to look like my creator. He takes us to uh, just uh, two more here towards the end. He says, to your godliness, brotherly kindness. We ought to have Christian love for one another. This is something that I talked about today, even in the morning service, about how important it is in a local church to have love for one another, love for your brothers and sisters in Christ, to want to be around other believers. This is something that. In 1 John, John is led of the Holy Spirit to write that if we have hatred towards our brothers or sisters in Christ, then we're walking in darkness and we're stumbling in that. And we can't know the ways of God or the will of God. Brotherly kindness is something that is near and dear to the heart of God. In the book of Proverbs, uh, one of the abominable sins that God mentions in Lewis chapter 7, the last one is he says, those who sow discord among the brethren. God loves his people. And God wants his people to love one another. And it's because it is a, it is a reflection of who God is. That God is perfect in his love. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and perfect unity there in that triune God. But he calls us to have Christian love or brotherly kindness towards one another. And then the last one, probably the hardest one um, for some out of all of them, the last one, he says charity. Look there in the, in, in the scriptures with me one more time here. He says, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. Charity. Now, this is not referring to a soup kitchen or a place that gives away jackets. The word charity is the Greek word agape. I mean, you've heard that word before. All right, that is the unconditional love that we see from God. When Jesus hung on the cross, there was no merit of man that put him there. It was the unconditional love of God that put him there. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. He did it unconditionally. Unconditionally. And as a person is growing the way God commands us to grow, these are the qualities that will start to show up in the life of that believer. Each one building on the other, but all of them settled on the foundation of faith. You will never have unconditional love for anyone if you don't first have faith in what God's doing through you. You'll, you'll never have the brotherly kindness for those in your church who have really wronged you. And, and along the way, I'll be honest with you, there's some Christians that have wronged me and my family. But God tells me I need to have a love and a forgiveness for those people. When it comes to other things of endurance or patience or temperance or knowledge or virtue, none of these things will, will ever be what God can make them into if you don't first have faith in what God can do through you. Not what you can do, but what God can do through you. And that's where it starts. Peter gives us this great warning because he says this in in verse 8, for if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you caught all that, but look at verse 9. 
But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Hear me now. These things that are mentioned in this passage are extremely important because God is telling us right here as born-again believers, I need to be growing like this. This is what I need to be doing. Add to your faith virtue, add to your virtue knowledge, add to your knowledge patience, temperance, brotherly kindness, godliness, and charity. Keep adding, keep adding, keep adding. Because those who lack these things are blind and cannot see afar off, and they have forgotten that they were purged from their sins. That's what happens to people when they turn away from God. The house that is swept and garnished that lacks the presence of God, and the demons return, you know what happened? They stopped growing. They stopped building. They stopped letting God change them. They stopped purifying their lives. They stopped trying to be patient. They stopped enduring. They stopped the faith. They stopped the godliness and the other things there. They stopped. They turned their back on their living God who had delivered them from their sin. And because of it, they end up being the dog turning to their vomit, the pig to the mouth. And this message tonight is a message of warning for all of us. If you have been saved and you are growing, hey, keep growing and keep going for the Lord. There is nothing better than, than walking each and every day with the living God, knowing that He's there, knowing that He's active, knowing that He's faithful. There's nothing sweeter or better than that. But there's nothing more dangerous than turning your back on that same God. And so I hope you won't ever do that. And I hope you'll stay the course, and I hope you'll build upon these things God's blessed us with today. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you and thank you tonight for our time together in the service. Lord, I thank you for the teaching of Scripture and how it helps us to know you better, Lord, to not only know you, but also to give us great assurance of our salvation. And Lord, that the Scriptures help to secure our faith in something that is something that is stable or something that we can even live according to, almost like, a, as we were reading here, almost a code that we should live towards or live according to. And, Father, tonight I know that each one of us have been guilty of not doing what we're supposed to do, often in our Christian lives. Maybe we lack faith, and therefore we fail to achieve these other goals that have been set for, before us. Father, I pray you'd forgive us tonight pray that you'd help us. Lord, I pray you'd bless us, Lord, above and beyond measure, that we might go forward into this year and do your will. Father, I pray you'd be with anyone tonight who's got a heavy sin weighing on their heart. Lord, I pray you'd help them to let go of that now and by faith know that, Lord, you're a God of forgiveness. And, Lord, maybe there's some who struggle with that next step in their Christian life. I pray by faith they would know that you're the one who's the power who can help them to take that next step. Lord, would you help us tonight? We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you all for being here tonight. hope the message was a...